So as human beings, we want to experience joy. We all want to experience joy. It's just a human thing. Yesterday I was watching a show on Netflix, uh, Mission Joy. Has anybody seen this? Anybody seen this movie? Okay, awesome. Nobody. <laughs> okay, good. Works better. I can tell you about it. So, um, so it's, it's interesting. So it's the Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama himself, and the Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu. So one guy is a Buddhist monk, the other guy's a Christian, and despite their differences, they've come together to talk about joy and this human experience that we all long for, joy in the midst of troubled times. And they, they're funny, man, like just to see them hang out together and laugh and tell jokes, it's really cool. Like it actually, I enjoyed it. Uh, there's a lot of like false things being said, but you know, that's okay. There, there's also some true things being said, so you just kind of got to filter it through the lens of what's true. But I'm watching this show about joy and it's just so fascinating to me that a guy who went through apartheid in South Africa and Desmond Tutu faced racism, who faced oppression and injustice, this guy who had death threats against his life, who, as the movie's being filmed in 2021 last year, he, he had, or two years ago, he had cancer. He had been through troubled times. This guy knew troubled times, right? And then you've also got the Dalai Lama. <laughs> um, and he had actually had to leave uh, his country because the Chinese government invaded Nepal and overthrew him. And so he knew some stuff about hard time and trouble. And yet both of these guys were talking about how despite the challenges around them, despite the hardships, they had joy. And so there's a website that has all their stuff that they're working with the movie and this project they're doing. It's like Project Big Joy. And what struck me is that 53,000 people from over 200 uh, countries signed up to do this joy project. Like Harvard researchers are a part of it. And so all these people from around the world are saying, hey, I live in a troubled world. I, li I live in a world where it's, there's brokenness and hardship and suffering in my life. And I want joy. People are craving joy. And what was interesting to me is just to think about my own life and how I've thought, man, that is so true of me. Like, I want joy. I want to experience something that keeps me going even when everything around me is so bad and bleak. And if I was to guess, I would imagine everybody in this room has felt that way. Like, we want to experience joy. And the question that we have is this, how? How can I experience joy? How can we experience joy in the midst of troubled times? If you listen to the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, you would probably think that joy comes from within. That as human beings, we are by nature good and compassionate. And if we'll just look within ourselves, we'll be able to summon and find and cultivate joy. That's what they said. If you look at what the science says on their website, you should do acts of kindness to people. You should connect with people, have relationships with people. Um, you should reframe the hard things you're facing and see silver linings in them. There, there's these practical things 
make a gratitude list, for example. And science says that all of those types of things will produce joy in you, and you'll be able to give joy to other people. Now, obviously, to an extent, that's true. Like, that is how joy works in the human body. We experience joy when we do those things. So that is true. But let me ask you this. Is a gratitude list enough to give you unshakable joy with a cancer diagnosis? Is a random act of kindness going to stir in you this joy that helps you rise above war atrocities? Is connecting with a friend really going to produce the kind of joy that even in the face of death, you can overcome? No, it's not. We know this, right? That's dumb. Like Those things in and of themselves, can they produce joy in a person? Yes, absolutely. Should you do it? Yes, make a gratitude list. Yes, have friendships. Yes, reframe things. But is that really? Is looking inside of me really going to produce unshakable joy in the real hard things of life, the actual struggles that we face as humans? I don't think so. <laughs> and so, to be honest, this is, again, I, I'm not expert. I don't, I don't know all things joy, but I know a guy who experienced a lot of joy. A guy who experienced joy in the face of being in prison, beaten, whipped, being homeless, sleepless nights, not having water or food. His name's the Apostle Paul. See, Paul had an unshakable, unbreakable joy despite the worst circumstances, even worse than Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama, worse probably than anybody in this room. And so I'm wondering, what is Paul's secret to joy? How did he have that kind of joy? Because if, if you and I want joy, we're open, if we're open-minded people, and we see someone who had great joy, well, we should be interested to see what they had. So we're going to open the Bible, and we're going to see, how did Paul have joy? So if you've got a Bible, open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're in a series right now called Be Encouraged, and we're going through the book of 2 Corinthians. And last week, we talked about uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 12 through 22, how Paul, the guy who started this church in Corinth, he had started it, loved this group of people, helped them in their faith. He left, and in the meantime, there was these other leaders who came in and said, oh, Paul doesn't care about you. You can't trust him. Don't listen to this guy. In fact, his message, you can't even trust his message about this Jesus guy. You should, you should not believe in Jesus. So Paul, he is having to defend his ministry. He's having to defend his character. He's having to defend the gospel. And so last week, we, we saw he talked about his travel plans and why they changed and how Jesus is God's yes. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus, that God does what he says he's going to do. He showed it in Jesus. And so Paul, as being somebody sent from God, he does the same thing. He is a man of his word. He's a man of integrity and character. So we're going to pick up uh, where we left off, and we're going to continue to see what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 23. I call on God as a witness on my life, on my life, that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. 
I do not mean that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy. Because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart. Not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. So Paul, he tells the church in Corinth, guys, look, I love you. I love you. And because I love you, I didn't come visit you again. I told you I was going to come. I changed my plans, but it was out of love. He wanted them to be sure that Paul did care about them. He really did. And so let's just talk through it. What did it mean? What did it look like that Paul loved the church in Corinth? He said, I call on God as a witness on my life. So Paul's basically saying, okay, hey, you're saying I did you wrong. I'm saying I didn't. Imagine we're in court. There's a judge, there's a jury, defense, prosecutor. And Paul, the defense, he says, I'm going to call to the witness stand, God. Talk about an expert witness. Yeah, God knew everything about the situation, everything about Paul's heart. And Paul's saying, I want God, who knows everything, to be the witness. I call on him. And what's at stake, Paul says, on my life. I've heard people say, on my mama, but I've never heard anybody say, on my life. He said, God will be the judge. And if I'm lying to you, if I'm not telling the truth, my life is at stake here. So I call on God as a witness on my life. This is really intense language. That it was to spare you. Paul wanted to spare them. That's why he didn't come to Corinth. It was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. Basically, Paul was telling them, guys, look, I didn't want to have to do what I did before. So here's what happened. To be honest with you guys, Paul's travel plans are really confusing. And like, even when you read commentaries, they're like, yeah, we really don't quite know for sure because the Bible doesn't clearly state all the little things. The point is, Paul visited them before. And when he came, things went really bad. Like there was a guy who undermined his authority. Paul gets into it with him, calls him out. And it's a really intense rebuking. And then Paul gets out of there. He flees. He leaves. And instead of coming right back and having to do the same thing again, he doesn't do that. He gives him space. Why did he do that? It wasn't to save face. It wasn't to not be humiliated. He did it because he knew that if he came right back to him again, they were still not, you know, honoring his authority, he was going to have to call him out again. And if he did that, there was going to be consequences. And so he said, I did it to spare you. He continued, I do not mean that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. So Paul told him, look, I didn't come because I wanted to spare you. And indirectly, he knew what they might hear is, well, I could have come and I could have rebuked you. I'm the Apostle Paul and I'm in charge. 
And so he immediately pivots from, I didn't come because I wanted to spare you, but I don't mean, here's what I'm not saying, I do not mean that we lord it over your faith. In other words, he's saying, I'm not Lord. I'm not Jesus. I'm not going to be the guy above you as the apostle and you submit to me and and I'm going to rule you and I'm going to be domineering and controlling. No, he says, I'm I'm not going to lord it over you. So think of like when you hear about pastors like Mark Driscoll, maybe, you know, you heard the podcast, you listen to that, or there's so many different examples of guys recently where they get kicked out of their church. Why? It's not really that they do something that is typically morally wrong. It's like they're a huge jerk. They're controlling. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like that's it. Like they're, they're jerks. They think that they're Lord. They think that they're over everybody else and everyone needs to bend, bow the knee to them. And Paul says, look, I'm an apostle. I have seen Jesus. I've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus, but I'm not going to lord it over you. Instead, he contrasts that with, but we, so Paul, Silas, Timothy, but we are workers with you. We work with you for your joy. We are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. So Paul says, I'm not over the top of you. This isn't an org chart where I'm at the top of the pyramid and you guys are supposed to do what I want. No, he says, I come alongside. I help. I, I still, I'm going to still challenge at times. I'm still a leader positioned by God, yes. But my tone, my attitude, my posture is to help, is to serve, is to bless. And there's an aim to his serving and blessing. What is it? Their joy. Paul, in all of his ministry and preaching the gospel and making disciples and starting new churches and correcting them and teaching them about marriage and food sacrifice to idols and all the, think of all the different things, right? Why was he doing all that? For their joy. So that those Christians would have more joy that's why Paul did that. We work with you with your, for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. So this is the big idea. For you and for me, if we're going to imitate Paul and how he did ministry and his example, whether you're a life group leader, a ministry leader, um, whether you're a follower of Jesus that's relating to other people, whether you're discipling people, whether you're counseling people, whatever it is, if you're doing ministry, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't lord it over people. Don't try to put yourself above people and look down on people and dominate them. No, come alongside them and work with them for their joy. Work with people for their joy in Jesus. So when I was first reading this, I was kind of thinking a similar thought to what I saw on the Mission Joy movie, which is this. If you want to have joy help other people have joy, right? Like that makes sense. But that's actually not specifically what Paul was saying. The phrase in Jesus is really important. That's why Paul sandwiched where workers with you for your joy with um, we don't lord it over your faith where workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. 
And that's the same language that he used in 1 Corinthians 15, stand, you stand firm in your faith, when he shared the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again, and you stand firm in your faith. So he's saying, we are helping you maximize your joy, not just in good feelings, not just in, we, you know, I'm happy and I feel stuff, not just, oh, I did a good thing to you, you do a good thing to me. No, if that was the case, any organization could say that. Buddhists could say that. A business could say that. We could say, oh, yeah, how do we have more joy? Help other people feel more joy. That's not what he's saying, though. He's saying, Christians, if you want to experience joy, work with other people for their joy in Jesus. Why? Because every other source of joy is temporary. Every other sense of joy will fade. Every other sense of joy is not ultimate and lasting and strong. So if you really want to help people maximize their joy, you got to take them to the source that will last forever, that will be the deepest amount of joy that they can experience. What do you do? You help people enjoy God. You help people enjoy Jesus. You help people delight in the Lord and love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. What's the point of ministry? Why do we do all this stuff? Why do I preach? Why am I up here right now? Why, do I, why did I spend, I put it down there, why did I spend an ungodly amount of time this week working on this dang booklet? You guys have no idea. Maybe you have, maybe you formatted a booklet before. You got to have a blank page, page one, and it's like the opposite each way, all the way down, bring it back up to print it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm Googling stuff. I'm, it's terrible. Um, why did I do all that for your joy? I want you, I want you to experience joy in God. I want you to have a, an infinite amount of joy that cannot be shaken. So if I want that for you, what do I do? I help stir you. I work with you. I come alongside and encourage. I just do anything I can. I'm not saying I'm doing a good job of it, but I'm trying to do everything I can so that you're happy in him. That's what Paul did for the church in Corinth. Um, and can we go back one slide real quick? Sorry. Um, so, and let's, let's look at this. So he says, we work with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. So because you have faith in Jesus, we're going to work with you for your joy in him. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy because I'm confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. So there is some truth to what Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama were saying. It's actually in some ways, I think they called it wisely selfish to seek the joy of other people. Why? Because that's how you get joy. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I didn't want to come on another painful visit because if I come, cause you pain, now you can't give me joy. Is that selfish? In a sense, kind of, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, but not really. But it's not just joy, right? It's Paul sought their joy in Jesus and his joy in Jesus would become their joy in Jesus. Paul would have joy, they would have joy, 
They would give Paul joy. He would give them joy. It's mutual joy between the person who ministers and leads and cares for, comes alongside and works with, and the person who is being worked with. Both people get to experience joy. So if you ever think, man, i got to disciple people, i got to do ministry, i got to lead kids zone, i got to greet, and I'm being deprived of joy so that they can experience joy. You ever thought like that? I'm being deprived of my joy, but it's for their good. No, you're not. If you want to experience joy, seek their joy because they'll give you joy. That's what Paul said. That's why he didn't want to make another painful visit because they, the Corinthians, would give him joy. So I want to tell you, well, actually, first of all, you, this is kind of, it's kind of a weird passage. I'm going to be honest. This, I had never really studied this before, so you might be thinking, okay, this, this is sounding a little strange. Like I'm kind of tracking with you, but is this really what the Bible teaches? And I love, if, if you're asking that, that's a good question. So here's a couple of verses that I was studying through that helped me see that, okay, yeah, Paul was working with the Corinthians for their joy in Jesus. He sought their joy in him, and they would give Paul joy in doing so. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 to 25. Paul said, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. So either way, it doesn't matter, live or die, I'm going to honor Christ. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Now listen to this. Knowing this, knowing that, I am convinced that I will remain alive. Why? So I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul said, it is better for me to live, to help you. Why? So that you can experience the joy of your faith. That's why Paul was kept on the earth and didn't go to heaven to help Christians experience joy of their faith in Jesus. So that was Paul's ministry. That's what motivated him. Uh, 3 John verse 4, here's what John said. I have no greater joy than this. So just think, fill in the blank. What would you think that a biblical author would say? I have no greater joy than this. Fill in the blank. Somebody shout out real quick. What do you think John said? I have no greater joy than this. Jesus loves me. Great answer. What else? Then serving. What else? Sharing the gospel. Yeah, awesome. All great answers. Think, no greater joy than this to hear that my children, spiritual children, are walking in truth. No greater joy. What gave John joy? Seeing that his spiritual children were walking in the truth of Jesus. That's just another way of saying that they stood firm in their faith. That's the greatest source of joy for a Christian worker. And then the last one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. This is Paul. For who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. It doesn't matter if it's your motive for doing ministry or the greatest source of joy that you can describe in doing ministry or 
at the end, when you see Jesus face to face, all throughout, it's all about seeking the joy, maximizing the joy of people in Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what Paul did for the church in Corinth, and that's what we got to be about. Again, we put this back up on the screen. Here's what you and I have got to do if we're going to actually live into this. Work with people for their joy in Jesus. So I'm gonna, I want to give you a picture of this as best I can. There's a guy named George Mueller. Nod your head if you've ever heard of this guy. Okay, a couple of you. George Mueller, he, lived, he was born in 1805 and died in 1898 at the age of 92. He was a pastor at one church in Bristol, England for 66 years. He didn't take a salary for 68 years of ministry. He started an orphanage and through his lifetime helped over 10,000 orphans. He never asked for money. He only prayed and had faith that God would cause people to give him money. When he was 70, he actually fulfilled his lifelong dream of becoming a missionary. And he went to, let me make sure I get this right, he preached the gospel to 3 million people across 42 countries. He did follow-up for D.L. Moody, preached for Charles Spurgeon, and inspired Hudson Taylor to take the gospel to China. Again, raised millions of dollars by faith. Read the Bible 200 plus times. So, hey, four days a week, we got a long way to go. And recorded, listen to this, just wrap your mind around this, recorded roughly 50,000 answered prayers in his journals. 50,000. This is a man of faith. This is a man who made disciples and impacted nations and served the least of these for the kingdom of God. He loved Jesus. Now, I want you to hear his relationship with his wife, his wife Mary. This is really important to help you understand how George Mueller experienced troubled times. So he said about his wife Mary, were we happy? Verily we were. With every year, our happiness increased more and more. I never saw my beloved wife at any time when I met her unexpectedly anywhere in Bristol without being delighted so to do. I never met her even in the orphan houses without my heart being delighted so to do. Day by day, as we met in our dressing room at the orphan houses to wash our hands before dinner and tea, I was delighted to meet her, and she was equally pleased to see me. Thousands of times I told her, My darling, I never saw you at any time since you became my wife without my being delighted to see you. So he loved his wife fiercely. Um, she ended up getting sick and he said this the last portion of scripture which I read to my precious wife was this the Lord God is a sun and shield the Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he uphold from them that walk uprightly no good thing now if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ we have received grace we are partakers of grace and to all such he will give glory also I said myself with regard to the latter part no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly I am in myself this guy who did all this incredible things for God right I am in myself a poor worthless sinner but I have been saved by the blood of Christ and I do not live in sin I walk uprightly before God therefore 
So he's drawing the implication of that passage where he, he's taking God at his word. He's not going to withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. Do you hear that? And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. And all this springs, as I've often said before, from taking God at his word, believing what he says. How could he have joy with his wife that he loves so dearly, dying? He was satisfied with God. He trusted God. Now the question is, how did he get there? Right? Because you want to know God like that. You want to be satisfied in God like that so that you can have joy no matter what you face. How did George Mueller get there? Here's how he got there. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Wow. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and thirty years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now after much experience, I specifically commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. Having experiential acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. This is another quote, just to keep driving it home. But in what way shall we attain to this unsettled happiness of soul? How shall we learn to enjoy God? How obtain such an all-sufficient soul-satisfying portion in him as shall enable us to let go the things of this world as vain and worthless in comparison? I answer, this happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures. God has therein revealed himself unto us in the face of Jesus Christ. Man, when, when I realized that God lined up this passage with us doing a Read the Bible initiative, y'all don't even know, I was mind blown. I did not plan that. But as I came across this quote, I was like, oh my gosh, this is powerful We've got to be workers with people for their joy in Jesus. How do we do that? We help people open the Bible and see God in the face of Jesus. That's what George Mueller said. Last quote from him. Now in brotherly love and affection, I would give a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep up spiritual enjoyment. 
it is absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue, that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder over it, especially we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we shall remain spiritual dwarves. I tell you so affectionately. For the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I have been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the whole Bible about 100 times. He still was going to live for 20 plus more years. And I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. I like learning from people who've known God more than I can even wrap my head around and have done things for God and his kingdom that I, I just can't understand. He preached three times a week and did all the stuff I told you about. I preach once a week and I'm like, I can't even get booklets printed, you know? Like, <laughs> how did he do it? Every single morning when he woke up, the very first thing was he got himself happy in God. And I know that there's the whole happy, joy, forget, just know this. Get yourself happy in God. Delight in God. Enjoy God. Take pleasure in knowing God. How do you do that? Primarily by reading the Bible. There's other ways to do it, but primarily reading the Bible. Maybe George Mueller was on to some of the brain science a couple hundred years ago. Maybe he knew what the Center for Bible Engagement would find later. Reading the Bible makes a difference. So here's a couple of pictures. I just want to throw up a couple of images of people here who are working with other people for their joy in Jesus. We got people who are greeting. We got people checking in people to kid zone. We got people working with kids for their joy in Jesus. We got people leading us in worship for our joy in Jesus. We've got people speaking to us for our joy in Jesus. And again, and I wish that I had more pictures from outside of Sunday morning because I don't want to limit our images of working for people's joy to this one time because that's too limited. But that's all I got, so that's what I showed. So what would it look like for you if you were going to work with others for their joy in Jesus? What could that look like in your life? So I want to give you a couple minutes to process three questions I got for you. What did you hear God saying? How are you going to follow him? And who could you share this with? Pull out a phone, pull out a journal, something to write down. Really commit. I am going to take action in light of what we've read. So go ahead, take a minute, write down those answers.
So Jesus lived the kind of life where he sought joy for other people. In John chapter 15, verse 9, he said, I have loved you, this is him talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus promised to fill his disciples with his own joy. In the next chapter, he tells them that he's going to go away. In other words, he's going to die and he's going to be resurrected and ascend to sit at the right hand of God. And he says, are you wondering what I meant when I told you that? In a little while you won't see me, but a little while after you'll see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. Guys, Jesus died. He gave his life to give you joy, to give you forgiveness of sins, yes, to give you his righteousness, yes, to one day resurrect you from the dead, yes. But Jesus died on the cross to give you joy, his own joy. And when you see him face to face one day, (laughs) your mind will be blown, you'll be overwhelmed, and your joy will increase more and more and more as you know and enjoy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul and for his example of how he worked with others. He didn't lord it over them. He wasn't like, I'm the apostle, I'm in charge, do what I say. No, he worked with others for their joy in Jesus. God, Paul was a person who had joy that couldn't be shaken. George Mueller was a person who had joy that couldn't be shaken. It's more than acts of kindness. It's more than a gratitude list, although those are great things. It's enjoying you. God, help us to be a people who enjoy you, who delight in you, who start each day by opening your word up and knowing you by seeing the face of Jesus revealed in the pages of Scripture. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.